They don't remember a time in our life when there was no cell phones, when there was no DVD players, when there's everybody had a computer, um, everybody had a flat screen TV. You know, <laughs> I remember having a black and white TV. That's how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when shows were in color, they still show other shows that were in black and white. Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt. And before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, though. You were talking about um, the... Discourse. Um, yeah, and and having a concept that's that's flexible enough to work for everybody. I think is that what you were getting at, kind of. Yeah, you know, just it's no. There's not going to be a one size fit all because when you have an idea and it's starting to take shape, or you have two people, or you have a a, a, a conglomerate of people gathered together to form ideas, mm-hmm. it's important that all sides of the story or all sides are being observing are observing the same goal and uh Mm. by by stepping back and having people then provide input to the things they actually that what they're actually observing uh whether Mm -hmm. it be anecdotal or in real time or whatever the case may be uh and listen to that person they might their perspective might definitely be more just as important as the final product. Um, hmm. But, but then at the end of the game, at the end of the day, that whatever that product end up being, whether it be a healthcare plan or whether it be a, a political, uh, uh, some type of social program, it's not going to be a one size fit all. Mm. Um uh that's it's not going to meet everybody's right need. right it's it's impossible with with any size of group or with any right. substantial size of group yeah yeah so i don't know if you ever watched the show uh 30 rock you know you have liz lemon she's a producer for what is the equivalent of saturday night live on mm. i guess it is cbs or nbc or whatever network sure is. well there's one like in the later seasons where she has this birthday party for the, the cast and crew. And so she she buys cake, ice cream, and she was like, excuse me, she says, well, is everybody happy? And then there's one guy that raises his hand. And he says, well, this person feels out, you know, he's lactose intolerant and he can't eat the ice cream. So she goes through all this trouble to get lactose sure. free ice cream. And then there was another issue. Someone is gluten-free. So then she has to order a gluten-free cake. And then another one's diabetic and this and that. And so it got, it got out of hand really, really fast. Sure. And, and there's no way. And I guess the point was to say that, hey, we can't make everybody happy. And so, but the, when, when people depend upon the government for their happiness, 
Mm. You're going to run into those type of uh, issues where you're trying to your best to keep everyone happy. And I think that's where like the big differences between the parties are where you have, Hey, we want to, we want everybody to have a fair shake regardless. And we don't care about your freedoms. If we have to take away some of your freedoms in order for someone to have some, um, a better chance at happiness, then we're going to do that versus, Mm. Hey, here's your, you're accountable for what you do and your accountability is going to bring you happiness. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. see? And so yeah. now how do we take both of those two ideas, make them into, you know, amalgamate them to the point where now we can take, how can we hold people accountable for what they do versus how can we take and try to make as many people happy owning that. And you can't do that. Sure. That's, sure. that's, that's really impossible. So, um, until we find that happy medium and I think that's what uh, European countries really try to do, you know, they, uh, they, I think they do their best to try to make everyone happy. And then there's an understanding uh, amongst the citizenry where the boundaries are and once mm. and if you step outside those boundaries um it makes it, it, it they hold you accountable to 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 breaching those boundaries sure you know so <clears throat> well, i don't and, know how go ahead yeah and and, and regardless of the balance that you come up with, I think you're right in that the personal responsibility is the, the primary factor. If you, if you eliminate that, then whatever your solution is, is going to um, not be successful, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, it takes the per it takes a little bit of ownership, people taking ownership of their actions. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot, like for instance, we have people who, you know, it's all over the news nowadays. So I guess we can talk about it. Um, you know, student loan forgiveness. Mm, okay. Sure. So, all right. You, people want an education because we have been programmed to believe that in order to make it in life, we need to have a college or, um, uh, you know, a higher level of education, whether that be a trade or some type of uh, diploma or certificate um, allowing for such. So the problem is, at least in my generation, we saved up for to achieve that, or mm, we found mm-hmm. ways to, you know, we might have to make some sacrifices. You know, I might have to sacrifice living in a big city and going to a smaller college in order to achieve the same result as going to a big city and going to a more expensive college. Mm-hmm. You know, and so our opportunity costs were were definitely presented to us. And we understood those opportunity costs and we acted upon what our, what we were able to do in, in those situations. Now hmm. you take today's generation and there is no opportunity cost because they don't see anything other than the one choice that's before them You know, opportunity cost being, Hey, I have more than one choice to look at and which, which product is best best suits my needs my requirements mm, mm-hmm. and so 
with that all being said, um, they they there's a lot of talk about critical thinking, but when our youth leave high school, they lack that ability to critically think about their future. Um, whereas, I think at least with my generation, and I'm just you know I'm speaking for myself. I had to I you know I had to look at the choices that were before me. I had I didn't have a choice of other than going to junior college. I had no other choice than to get a Pell Grant. Mm. Um, and then on top of that, I ended up, uh, you know, I got the Pell Grant and I squandered the money. I went to, I passed my classes, but the problem was there was a great overwhelming guilt because I knew I didn't have to pay that money back. And the guilt was, sure, I didn't put as much effort into the class and I just, in, in some cases, I failed miserably and didn't care. You know, I really didn't mm. care because it wasn't, I had no stake in the game. So that was one semester of receiving a Pell Grant for three classes. Um, I I think it came out to like $500 and, and the cost of the books, which ended up being probably another 300 So $800 semester uh, sure. for that, I got... Uh, I think it was like $2,000 and it was a stipend for, and it was all free money. It was just sure. Pell grant free money. And after that first semester and I saw what I did with the money, I just felt really guilty. I was like, I can't do this again because there are people either if it's a grant. So either people are donating to, into the system or the government is providing this particular program, the money, but you know, I'm not worthy to do that. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, from that point I had to make some other decisions and I realized taking some personal responsibility and whatnot. Um, there was a few things I was lacking and um, so I could either join the military or at that point wasn't really a, on my radar or I can go serve a mission for my church. So I decided sure. to, to go serve a mission for my church and what's really, so on that, the, the, the ability to sacrifice, wanting to sacrifice. So I had to pay for it and, or, you know, it was paid for mm. and I was going to another, you know, I ended up going to Georgia, um, the server mission for my church. And, uh, it was on somebody else's dime and, but my attitude changed, you know, I, I put forth a lot of effort. I made sure that, mm. because I knew these people, you know, uh, these are friends that actually fit the bill. Sure. Sure. And so there's that close connection of, there was that connection of knowing who, who the donors were that mm-hmm. I didn't want to waste the money that was afforded to, for me to go on this uh, endeavor. Right. Whereas, whereas the Pell Grant was just money that showed up in your bank account and la la, nobody, right. nobody's a wiser. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. You know, so I go serve this mission and, you know, I get an opportunity, I get exposed to uh, avenues of the military that I didn't get to, you know, we're, you know, we're, 
were Mormon missionaries on Fort Benning and Fort Gordon. Um, mm, sure. You know, talking with soldiers. And I just, I just love the, the lifestyle looked appealing to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I felt like there was a, where I gave, there was a little bit taken away from me. And then what was taken back was repaid, was, uh, given back to me in a form of a cash settlement. So, you know, they, I gave my body to be trained, to be a soldier in return for that. They paid me. And oh, they also sure. Taught me a skill. Sure. When you joined. Yeah. Yeah. When you joined. Yeah. So I flew completely be my mission and I, uh, worked for like Sony for a little bit and I ended up, uh, going walking into the recruiter's office one of those times and next thing you know i'm raising my hand and i'm braced off the fort jackson and uh you know you go through basic training you go through all the initial training and everything and um it, it was it was good you know i there was this i i saw what it was good to have a steady check paycheck mm-hmm. it was also good to be able to learn to contribute to a bigger cause. And so here I am in the throes of sacrificing twice uh, before I even turned 25 years old. Mm, sure. So, you know, I, I sacrifice my personal life and my education to go on a mission. And then now I'm sacrificing involuntarily joining the military and, you know, giving my myself to to the country Mm -hmm. and i actually fell in love with with the idea of being in the military the the idea of service and i felt you know to me that i it was i was kind of an idealistic uh person when i was that you know younger because i was I, i felt like it was a higher calling i felt like you know what i think uh young men my age should be all doing this I think young women should be doing this. I think this is this is the way, you know, as they say in the Mandalorian, hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I wasn't doing anything sexy, you know. I was a I was in the communications, hmm. and um, I I had you know I took the time for my mission. I was you know I was you know this puts me at twenty twenty three years old. I'm, you know, anywhere from four to five years older than the other, you know, mm, the, the, sure. some of the youngest soldiers. So sure. I'm glad I did those few years, you know, outside of the military and joined when I did. I was 23, you know, at the peak. My brain is still developing. I'm still learning, you know, gaining the appreciation for certain ideas and what have you. And, um, and a lot of my political, uh, development and ideology started to solidify around this age. And, and, you know, I, and it was all, all based off of anecdotal things. It wasn't anything like I sat in a classroom and had a professor preach to me the, mm-hmm. the, the different, the various aspects of cons- conservatism or, liberalism but these are my ideas these are how i you know saw the world and i saw the world as 
whatever you put into it is what's going to um, bring back to you. Mm. So that being said, you know, I, I didn't know everything. I didn't pretend to act like I knew everything, but I kind of approached things as how do I see, how do I see the world? And um, one of the big questions to um, come into some, drawing some conclusions where I had to start asking important questions like, who am I? Like, who, who is Javier? Uh, mm. What is, what does Javier stand for? What, what does Javier want to be? What is, you know, is, you know, er, you know, Javier, Javier's timeline starts and begins every day when he wakes, starts when he wakes up and ends when he goes to sleep. <clears throat> and when he wakes up the next day, is that Javier different from the Javier the day prior? So mm. there was a lot of times where I was always sitting there trying to seek self-improvement, um, reading a lot of <laughs> self-help books, um, one of the books I read was like uh, how to win friends and influence people. And to this day, I think mm. every 16 to 18 year old should read it, you know, either in high school or coming out of high school. Uh, really good book. Uh, it, it was just like learning how to socialize yourself in a environment where you don't know where your social standing is. Mm -hmm. Um, Sure. Like for like, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, a small rabbit hole. Uh, there's a story where Sears back in the twenties, Sears Roebuck would have uh, during the Christmas season, would it bring all their uh, potential hires to dinner at this big, you know, and, they, and they'll spread out this big, uh, have a big spread and everybody sit down. And I guess it was the owner of the company. I think it was, I think the way it went, it was the, it was the owner of the company was set at the head of the table. Food would get served and he would just watch, you know, and what he was watching for was who's, who seasoned their food before tasting it. Oh yeah. yeah I heard about that. And then those who tasted the food then seasoned it. Those are the people that that were ended up working for the company, whereas those who seasoned it without tasting it weren't. And then that sure. was a real that was a that lesson. Like to this day, I think about that all the time. You know, I, it doesn't consume my life, but it was just one of those things that when I think about social interactions, I think about that one thing, mm -hmm. um, which is why I brought it up. But, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Make, making decisions before they have information. Right. And That's so with that being said, the, how I have started to apply that into my life was, you know, I have to start tasting everything before I'd make a decision on it. Um, mm. That goes from everything from watching the movie to listening to music to whatever case may be. Sure. Um, sure. You know, like, uh, I don't, I'm not sure what your age, what your age is, but I grew up during the age of hip hop. Right. And uh, mm. I remember... Mm -hmm. On, I remember people saying, you know, uh, rap is crap. You know, and you were in two camps. You were either, you know, in metal and rock or you were in rap and hip hop. You know, they did never mixed, except right. if you were Run DMC or Aerosmith, right? So, um, but when 
I remember as a little kid when Walk This Way came out, it blew my mind. And you like you had it's like eating a Reese's peanut butter cup, chocolate and peanut butter. You got to be kidding me! This is awesome. Why aren't we all doing this? Right, right. <laughs> and um, so I was already in the in the in the uh, camp of rock and uh, hip hop being like a combination and which opened my mind to, because I'm now tasting it before past in judgment. And you know, when grunge hit the scene, I was all about it, you know, when, um, so, you know, I had Pearl Jam, I had Nirvana and I'll, I'll say all this to kind of give you an idea of like how, that one story helped shape my my life narrative after that you know mm, sure you know you got to try a little just to see if you like it um and you might have to try a little a few times just to see because you know some flavors you know regionally aligned are going to taste differently than what you're used to like mexican food you know right from- right I'm from California, man, and I will argue that California Mexican food, food tastes totally different than any other place you go. Mm, um, okay, sure. It just doesn't taste the same. And um, mm. but you know, here I am as a young soldier, and I'm getting teased by some of the other soldiers, you know, they're talking, you know, Hey man, you're not black enough. You're not this, you're not that, but that's a sacrifice. You know, I had to make a, I had to make a social sacrifice in order to be who I am. So mm, sure. That's, you know, and that social act, uh, that social sacrifice was, I listened to the music that I actually like listen to it with unapologetically about it. Right. Right. Um, and then my friendships diversified because of it my outlook on life diversified because of it. Uh, people mm. that I didn't think I would ever be friends with, I end up being life, you know, to this day, lifelong friends because, you know, I didn't sample. I didn't choose to just salt my salt, salt my, uh, my friendships before trying them out first. You know, sure. I, sure. I actually, so that's in an, you know, and then so I complete my my initial training in the military, and I totally hate my job. I'm at Fort Campbell, uh, Kentucky. I love Fort Campbell. I love the I love the training at Fort Campbell, but I actually, I absolutely hate my job. And I meet my wife. We start dating. You know, we meet, and, and uh, I was like, hey, you know, I, I really thinking you know, while we're dating, I'm thinking about joining special forces. And she was like, yeah, that's not going to work for me. You know? <laughs> and so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, man, all right, I really, lo- I, I'm really digging this girl. I, I, I feel like I love her and we'll see what happens. And, you know, and so, um, we get married in a few, I think about, uh, a few months into the marriage, the whole subject comes again. Um, I meet a guy at church, who was, who was a green beret. Mm. And he says to me, Hey, when are you going to go to selection? I'm like, well, you know, my wife is totally against it. And he, she goes, he was like, Hey, let's have dinner. Bring her over for dinner. Have my wife talk to your wife. Yeah. 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 So 
um, yeah. So that, after that dinner, my wife was like, yeah, you know, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. So, um, so I, I was greenlit to go mm-hmm. to selection, but I still had to make rank at the time to, in order to do it. So, um, sure. What, what was it at that time? Was it Sergeant? Yeah. You had to be, no. uh, you had to be a specialist okay. or corporal promotable to Sergeant. Oh, gotcha. And, you know, and then by the time you start the qualification course, you would have to have been promoted. So gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I, I was still like a PFC at the time, or maybe a, I was probably like a specialist at the time, which is the E4. And, um, now kind of like, now it's up to me. I have to make these really big decisions like, but when, you know, when you think about the, I was listening to another podcast when they're talking about SEAL training, Navy SEAL training, it blew my mind, man. Like Mm. I, you know, you kind of expect, you're kind of thinking your head, like you need to be this superhuman person. And so, right. Or you have to be that type of guy that has no problem getting up out of bed and just out of the blue, just take off and do 20 miles. Uh, It's just, it's one of those things, you know, you, you psych yourself out. And, uh, I, I remember at the time I psyched, even though I, I, you know, I got over the hurdle of my wife saying, yeah, go ahead and do it. I still had to get over the the psychological effect of going and doing it. So, right. (laughs) So, uh, you know, every journey, it begins with the, every adventure begins with the first step. Right. And so I said, screw it. And I went to the recruiter's office and walked in and filled out all the paperwork. And he was, he sent me back to my unit to get some stuff filled out. And then that's when I found out I was going to another training exercise. Mm. And They, uh, I had it and I couldn't go. I ended up not going, uh, to selection until I, uh, was transferred to, uh, Fort Bragg and nine 11 happened. And when nine 11 happened, there was nothing in the world that was going to stop me from going to selection and mm. there was nothing in the world that was going to stop me because my biggest motivation was we just got attacked and it's time to go get some payback. Sure. So I spent the next, you know, I spent the next few years in the Q course, busting my butt, grinding it out, learning a lot about myself. And then, um, I made it, finally made it through and had a, had a pretty average career, I would say, throughout the uh, my time in. And then, you know, I re- I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I need to retire. Okay. At some point, I need to retire and I need to think about the next step. So this is like four years out of retirement. You know, I'm, I'm four years sure. away from retiring. Yeah, yeah. And I decided, you know what, the best route was to find a job that is the closest to being in a civilian 
that I can be so I can actually work my way out of the army. And that's right. what I did. Right. Yeah. So I, uh, went and I was an instructor at an ROTC program here in, uh, Orlando and at, at the university of central Florida. And I finished, I, I did my, you know, I finished my retire. you know, I retired and then, uh, got my degree afterwards. And, um, now I still work for the army, uh, supporting, uh, training throughout the army, which is something I really love, but I'd rather be out. I'd rather be at the range shooting with the guys, you know, private some, you know, throwing some right. lead down range, going through a shoot house, you know, giving instructions on the shoot house. I just, mm. it's just stuff I miss, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I miss but then, the training. but you can also go home every night. <laughs> Right and, right. and if a general walks on the course, you, you just like, hello, sir. Instead of, you know, Oh boy, what's he here for? You oh know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I never got flustered mm-hmm. when, uh, when a general came by because they already lived their lives with people hopping and popping around them. And I just want to, I just want to always to be myself, you know, and, so I, mm-hmm. I never really, you know, always was, you know, always kept my military bearing, but, um, I, d- I didn't let who I was talking to ever influence the way I act. Sure. Um, yeah. It was one of those things. And, um, there's a, there's a poem by Rudyard Kipling if, and one of the big lines is if you can, and the gist of it is you, um, the gist of the entirety of the poem is a father talking to his son. And while one of the lines in that poem, he talks about if you can move about, um, if you can move in like certain circles and not let that influence the way you behave. And then he goes mm. on to talk about all these other things. If you could lose sure. everything, um, lose your house, lose your family, lose everything and look yourself in the mirror and say, I can get it all back. You know, it's just like, if, Hmm. if like all these little scenarios and at the end of it, he was like, if you can do all these things and still walk away, keeping your head up, then the world is yours. And that's just the gist of it. And I I know, you know, I didn't even try to paraphrase it because I don't have it memorized. But uh, uh, that's you know that poem there actually did was another thing that shaped me as a as a father. Um, Hmm. It shaped me as a because you know it it shaped me in the sense that if my I wish my dad was always there to Hmm. give me those to remind me of these points of view. You know, right. And, um, and I could, you know, whenever I read that, I would read that particular poem. I would imagine my dad actually saying these words to me. And so I kind of, like I was able to eternalize, um, what was said and then reflect, you know, the axiom, you know, uh, to get some perspective out of it. So, um, mm-hmm. but like, and then I get lost, you know, and I can easily get lost in a, uh, 
in a thought and then I don't want that thought to be a fleeting thought. So I'd start to write it down. And then some of the best things I've ever written were, you know, I get caught in that little, um, that mindset. And next thing you know, I'm like, All right, I got to type this down. I'm sitting there typing, typing, typing. And then next thing you know, I have something that's beautiful to me mm-hmm. full of grammatical errors and, <laughs> You know, it's probably grammatically uh, not the best, but you get the gist of it. And um, I, I've heard that's a great way to uh, to write is just to to not let uh, grammar and spelling interrupt the flow, but just just let all the words out, and then you can always go back later and adjust and correct and everything. But if you yeah. if you stop that flow. You know, it's tough getting it going again. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I'm not, I'm not much of a writer, but when I put thought into it, it I mean, it, it makes me drop my own panties. You know, but, um, but yeah, I, it, but yeah, that's that's you know the gist of who I am. Um, you know, I, my time in the army did a number on me, um, both, uh, psychologically and physically. And I didn't realize Mm. like physically, you know, you're, you know, you're not 29, you're not 25 forever. Right. Right. (laughs) In, in your mind you are. Right. But physically, it's like, hey, when did I get old? <laughs> yeah, man. It's just, I, I, like, I can almost tell you the day, too, where, I, you know, we had just moved here to Florida. And I was sitting in my office at the university. And I was like, man, this doesn't feel right. I'm hurting. Like, I haven't, like, my back is, like, legitimately hurting. So I laid down on the floor in this uh, major walks by and he was like, Hey man, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, it's just my back. I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, doing all these stretches. And, um, and he's like, Oh man. And he, he goes in the next, next three months, man, I'm going to be watching you because you came here and you were running, you know, you're, you know, you're in good shape. Now I can, I can see it starting to wear on you. Like, and he and he, he recommended a few things to me. Yeah, I'm like, I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. And then, sure enough, man, I'm like I can't participate in runs anymore. I can't stand up more than twenty minutes. Um, and then you go to the doctor, and they say, you know, my doctor looks looks at me. You know, I'm six foot three at the time. I was maybe mm. like two hundred and sixty pounds, and he's like, you're overweight. I go, dude, if I lose 50 pounds, if I lost 50 pounds right now, you would think I was sick. Right. Right. Like I, I have that type of body where. Sure. I, I develop muscle really fast. And, but mm. I, I mean, and when I say, I, you know, my, my gut is not like flopping over my belt or anything like that. Sure. You know, I don't, I don't have saggy boobs or anything, but. It, it, you know, but the doctor makes you think 
hey man you you you're i remember putting on my um on my uh my chart morbidly obese and i'm like i wanted to punch him you know it just it, because and then he was like well lose the weight and your back won't hurt mm. i'm like like in that it, it's easier to think, you know, this is a guy with a, a doctorate in medicine. Sure. He's just, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm like, no, if I, if you saw me with, when I was 10 pounds lighter, I didn't look healthy, you know? Mm, sure. And, um, and I still was in the same pain, 10 pounds lighter. And so I was, you know, I got real disgruntled and I, I felt really hopeless, you know, just like I got things going on with my body. I can't quite explain. I got, um, I, I have these chronic pain issues and oh yeah, by the way, you know, I'm going through depression right now and, um, and I'm still in the army and you go to the army docs and the docs, you know, they say, all right, all right, dude, um, we're going to take you off the Motrin that we've had you on for all these years and we're going to. Uh, we're going to put you on these other painkillers and, you know, the next thing you know, um, they're causing addiction, you know, uh, not with me. There's a few drugs they, they tried with me and I just, after taking, taking it once, like drugs don't do well with me. Sure. Yeah. 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 They don't, it's just, I get, I don't like the way it feels. I don't see why anybody would want to feel like if taking a Percocet makes you feel this way, why, like if it makes me feel right. this way, why in the hell do you want to take it? You right. know? And so right. um, I'm, I guess I'm blessed in a sense to um, have that where I can, I, don't, I can, you know, I, I take a drug uh, and it makes me feel a certain way and I don't like it. Sure. So like a natural, a built-in aversion. Yeah. And I I think psychologically it has to do with my, you know, growing up with, uh, drug, you know, drugs in the family. Oh, sure. Yep. Seeing the side effects. So I think some of that has to play with it, but then I, I just think genetically, I, I don't buy it because I'm in the, I'm of the gender, I'm the Nancy, the Nancy, Nancy Reagan generation, just say no, you know? And so right. I, you know, that was, that was our indoctrination, you know, saying no to drugs, mm-hmm. which is crazy yeah. today where our kids are being indoctrinated right. in other right. aspects, uh, which blows my mind. And we're, casually letting it happen without putting up much of a fight um Hmm. except until recently recent if the news is right recently you know people are starting to push back on the uh the woke the i hate using that um word but the woke agenda sure yeah yeah, yeah. the progressive the the progressive agenda Hmm. Right, right. Um, we're seeing it. You know, we have an excellent governor here in Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis, who, you know, he's putting his foot down. And I, I think that's what we need. Mm. 
uh, someone to put their foot down. Um, and I really don't care about whether what what a person thinks of themselves. Like, hey, I'm not comfortable in my skin. All right, that's none of my business. You know, that's that's on you. Um, mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's your, that's your deal. And I know you're probably going through some things, but you know, please understand that where your feelings about how you feel about yourself starts my right to not listen to you. It's going to be front, you know, it's going to be front and center. Right. I'm going to respect you. I'm going to respect you. And you know what? And if someone comes and threatens you, guess what? I'm going to stand in between you and that person because I'm not going to allow an innocent person to get hurt. Mm, not in my sure. present. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I will also protect, you know, fight for your right to be who you feel like you are. But, hey, you got to understand there's going to be some. I'm going to limit that. You know, when you start indoctrinating or trying to coax my my grandson or my daughters or some other kid into what you feel is uh, what makes you happy, Mm -hmm. that's where I'm going to start pushing back. And I'm going to be like, hey, no, you know. And, and so it goes back to the beginning where I was talking about finding how do we, how do we take this situation and what we feel is the right thing and find a happy medium. And I think we can do that by, especially when it talks to the, uh, the gender and the, um, um, the other alpha, the alphabet of, of sexuality Right, uh, right. <laughs> I think there's a happy medium we can find um, where it can, where it's not toxic and it's not in your face. You know, it's not in your face. It's, and the same thing goes with race too, you know. Mm, I've, sure. you know, my generation, you know, I, I guess I'm generation X, they, they say, or the Pepsi generation or whatever they call this, you know, the, the MTV generation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were, my parents, I think our grandparents were the, were the dinosaurs of an era that was no longer there. If that makes any sense. I remember, mm. you know, Sure. You know, like our our grandparents and our great grandparents were the last the whole harbor really big racial tensions. Any racial tension I feel now or before so any racial tension I felt before that mm-hmm. uh before night let's say 2005, 2008. Yeah, 2008 was a good a good ending point. 2000, anything before 2008, if anything was racial, it was to be vindictive. It was straight out of vindictiveness. Mm. Like just to piss, just to piss you off. I'm going to call you this word, you know, whatever that case be. Sure. Sure. After 2008, it became 
this. And then, you know, before 2008, it was everybody was getting along. People were happy. People were, uh, I didn't, you know, did I feel like there was racism in the military? I'm going to say something kind of controversial in this, in the support, in the support in the army, in the support MOS is where you have the majority of the, of the racism. It was perceived by those people of color that that was their place. That was where they wanted to be because Oh, sure. You know, because at the time, I will say that majority of your combat arms were white. Mm. The majority of your combat arms guys were, especially infantry, were white. If you're now the one branch in the military where that was combat arms, where you might have more black Americans was mm-hmm. artillery was in artillery. Oh, okay. Huh. And, um, because they were the first units actually, uh, they, I, I'm a, I read somewhere once and I could be wrong, but one of the sure. first units to integrate, uh, that was integrated, uh, was an artillery unit and Sammy Davis jr. Was part of that unit. Oh, Okay. Huh. So they've just, that's for some reason that tradition has continued or something maybe. Yeah. And so I think a lot of, so yeah. And I think one of the, but yeah, anyway. um, So a lot of your service, your combat service support uh, uh, occupations in the military were, you know, like communications, like it was filled with African Americans and Hispanics and, um, I remember when I was at Campbell, Fort Campbell, my unit, like my unit was predominantly black, uh, transportation. Mm. So there, there was a, there was a, there was a lot of, there was a stigmatism that, Hey, you know, if you're a white, you're going combat arms. If you're anything else, you're going sure. to be some type of combat support. Sure. Well, it, it was funny because some of my, when I was in the Q course, some of my white friends, would ask me questions as if there was a, uh, like a black caucus, like a, like a board of black people that make up the rules. Right. 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 <laughs> and then like the one question, uh, my buddy, uh, we were on a ruck march <laughs> and he asked me, he was like, <clears throat> he was like, Hey Mackie. I was like, what's up, Travis? He was like, Hey dude, I got a question for you and don't take it the wrong way. I'm like, all right, you know, we've had these conversations already. Sure, and he he already knows where I, where I'm at, and then and uh, he's like, why is it that there's more? And this is back in 2002, 2003. Okay, um, he was like, so why don't you see too many brothers in the infantry? And I was like, in my head, I was, you know, I wanted to be a jerk and be like, you know, the next time, you know, that's a good question to ask. And the next time. I'm at my all black right. Right. <laughs> board meeting. Board yeah. meeting. I will. I will ask that question. Right. Um, right. 
We'll pass a resolution uh, and get back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The black, the black caucus. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the the racial draft with uh, Dave Chappelle. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, so he got me thinking. You know, I was like, "Hey, man, you know," and I, I he got me really thinking about it. And I sat back, and I, you know, so I called my dad, and I'm like, "Hey, dad." My dad's in the military. And mm. He was in he was in the infantry, and he was in Vietnam. He's a Vietnam vet. He um, he got out, went to the National Guard or Reserves, and uh, was an inch combat engineer. And so he's always been in combat arms until I joined the army. And by the time I joined the army, he is a, uh, he's in the signal Corps, and the same, re- you know, communications. And that's the reason why I went communications because that's, mm-hmm. even though I wanted to be an airborne ranger, he was like, no, you know, you really, you know, just dip your foot in the water, see if you like it. In the meantime, just get a job that you can take, you know, you can get some skills and leave the army if you don't mm-hmm. like it. I'm like, all right, check. Got it. So I call him up and he's like, and I asked a question and he goes, well, you do know I was an infantry, right? I'm an infantryman. I'm like, yeah. Yes, sir. And he was like, you know, I'm a combat engineer. Yes, sir. And you know, I served and fought in Vietnam. Yes, sir. And, uh, he goes, I got drafted and that's what I was told I needed to do. And I'm like, all right. And he goes, a lot of us didn't want to be there. It didn't matter if you were white, black, but we had a job to do. Sure. The reason, and he goes, you gotta, you gotta understand that, you know, for African-Americans, it wasn't, it was hard for them to come back from World War II and World War One, and to be treated the way they were treated. Sure. So as time went on, yes, military was a, was a, uh, a profession that was worth going into, but it wasn't worth dying. The country that you were fighting to protect wasn't worth dying for if they weren't willing to protect your, or grant you the same rights as everyone else. Mm. Sure. You know, and so that being said, it kind of opened my eyes as to, all right, what my relationship to this, to our country is. My dad was a patriot. That being said, all that being said, my dad was a patriot through and through. He loved the United States of America. Um, I only use that in past tense because, you know, he's no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't think of a time while he was living where my stepdad did not uh, at any point how he would like, he never said anything bad about the United States. Now there was things that he didn't Mm. like, but don't get that, you know, mixed up with his love for his country. And that was something Mm. that he instilled in us. And so, you know, you know, so I'm with Travis again, some days later and, we're sitting there talking and, I, you know, I, I brought the subject back up and I was like, Hey man, so back to your question, you know, this is another ruck March. Um, and he, 
you know, this deep philosophical, uh, you know, it's right. one of the cool things about the, uh, the military is you can have, you can be in the middle of, you know, you know, sucking at something, you know, and in a rainstorm, you can have these philosophical questions that keep you, keep you occupied, keep your mind on something else other than the pain you're going through at the time. Right. 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 So yep. here we are, you know, eight miles into a ruck march, a 12 mile ruck march. And he's like asking me, you know, we're talking about this thing. And, um, this, 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 this particular, uh, situ- you know, conversation. And he, he was like, wow, you know, that's, that's really, you know, there were some things he never thought about. And he honestly and sincerely wanted to know more. Hmm. You know, he, he just, he was just, Hey man, you know, you're the closest black, you know, you're the, you're the, you're the only black friend I have right now. So let me ask you some questions while we got a chance. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, um, and subsequently, so later on that week, you know, we were, uh, we we're out of camp McCall and that's where we do some of our initial, you know, our life, our life as a uh, Q course stu- student, is has a very intimate relationship with Kent McCall, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, we're out there training. And uh, at, at this particular point in training, the cadre, and this is kind of along the same lines. Um, so in my, in my Q course class at the time, there was probably like eight black guys, um, a handful of Asian dudes, another couple dozen Hispanic dudes, and everybody else is white. But, you know, demographically, that wasn't on our mind, you know, but that's just to give you an idea. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of the kind of general makeup, you know, and the cadre, the instructors, kind of along the same path. You know, there's like one black guy and a couple of Asian dudes, and all the rest are white. And maybe a Hispanic dude here and there. Um, rest of were white guys. And, uh, so they, they were like, Hey, you know, you guys get the roast, uh, you, you can roast on the, the constructors or you can do a skit as long as you don't do, uh, you know, as long as you keep it clean and, you know, you, uh, you have fun, you know, we, we really want you to, you know, just like they do this to like decompress. So mm, sure. my dumb butt get up there. Well, I wouldn't say it's dumb, but I, I get, I do this thing where it's uh, Ebonics. I do the jump master. Uh, I do all the jump oh. commands in Ebonics. Right. <laughs> using slang, you know? And uh, so I do this whole thing and people are just dying laughing, you know, everybody's having a good time. I'm having a good time. Uh, but none of the black guys are laughing and I don't care. You know, I'm like, e- e- sure. Uh, I, I just, I'm being me because that's who I am. Right. So that night, that evening, uh, one of the black guys come up to me and, and he goes, you know, we're, we ended up pretty, uh, friends later on, but he was pissed. Like he was really upset. He was like, Hey man, you really hmm. set us back. And you know, you, you, I'm like thinking to myself, how in the heck did I like, like one joke set all of black people back in the military. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so I was like, I looked at him. I was like, whatever, man, you know, like, uh, like you're the same person that will probably sit there and listen to red Fox, you know, 
call every white person in the in a room a honky, you know, just and think it's funny. But then the moment, you know, uh, Robin Williams go up there and he drops the M bomb, you want to start throwing blows. No, right, you right. know, you, you got you got to be. And so, you know, we let bygones be bygones. You know, there was really no really no hard feelings, but he. There was a point though that he was trying to make, and here I am, uh, a few years older now, and um, I read a I read a statistic uh, that at any given time there's 37 black Navy SEALs, or uh, out of uh, out of out of all the SEALs that are in on teams. Mm. 35. So let me, all right. So let me back up to be in special operations. You're the top 1%, right? They, you go through a selection, you make it through all the training. You're now a member of the top 1% of the army, right? Sure. Or special operations. Now, if you broke it down demographically, then you're like, you know, then I would be less than 1% you know, or a tenth of percent or a hundredth of a percent, the top of any different de- demographic, right? So mm. that being said, uh, so there's third at any given time, there's less than 40 seals out of, I think, uh, I'm just going to say 2000, that number might be off out of okay. 2000, right? That That's, then that's a, that's less than 1%, right? Um, in special forces, in the air force, I think there's one at, there's one African American uh, uh, pararescue guy. One. Oh, okay. One out of right. maybe a couple hundred. All right. right. Uh, I don't think there's any JTACs. Uh, and but in, in special forces, there's like less than five hundred out of say 10,000. And again, mm. that number might be off. It might be, it might be less than that. I think it's like 7,000, but at any, that's a, that's still a big number. Right. And then, so <clears throat> recently, so that just give you an idea of the general makeup. Uh, and then Asians make up a big, you know, depending on the group and depending on the, where you're at, you know, that Asians make up a, a pretty decent size, Latinos make up a huge, I think outside of whites, Latinos is probably the second largest uh, minority group in soft. And then you have mm. Asians and then blacks. And which will really blow your mind, you know, because there's, you know, right. but it goes, but it, it, it is diverse. You know, the special operations is diverse. And, um, but there's a high standard. Uh, I would rather have, those low numbers, knowing that there's a high standard, then they're. So my point is, yeah, I'd rather have those high, oh, sure. those num, those low numbers with a high standard, knowing that the country is getting its best out of those men, than a higher number with lower standards, uh, just so that sure. there can be more inclusion, and they can diversify what soft looks like now Mm -hmm. this is where i don't know if you saw that article it might have been floating around um where it talks about how they're trying like 
this this uh, this rider would rather have a more diverse special operations that doesn't produce the best results than having it remain the same, producing the highest results. Mm, sure. That makes no sense whatsoever. That it, like you're just that's like saying, "Hey, I want to, I want a fire alarm, the little smoke alarms on my house that only works twenty five percent of the time." You know, well, yeah, so it's, that, it's different priorities, right? It uh, a, a vastly different priority wrapped around a, um, a situation, I guess. You know, like you're, you're, like you're saying, the the main priority is that soft be capable and that those there deserve to be there. And then they're saying the, this guy's saying, well, no, it's, it's more important that it be, uh, the correct ref- correct reflection of, you know, culture or whatever, um, potentially to the detriment of accomplishing the mission. So it's, yeah, it's different viewpoint. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it, it, like, hey, you know, let's hire some para, uh, paraplegic police officers and firefighters and expect right. the same result. You know, it just no, 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 no. You want you need to have the best. Um, let's, you know, that we don't when we go to the Olympics, we don't put our mediocre. We don't, you know, mediocre people don't make the team just to, so that they have a chance. Mm. You know. Sure. No, people were actually put their heart and soul into this. And um, the military, so the writing was on the wall. So this is 2015. And uh, special special operations and combat arm units do with these things called a, uh, it's, called a, it's called a mod demo. And basically it's like a modular demo demonstration of, your capabilities. And usually all you're doing is like taking um, equipment that you train with and displaying it. And then when people walk, come to come up to you, you kind of like explain what your capable, what your mission and capabilities are. Oh, so okay. Sure. Yeah. It's like show and tell. And, yeah, a, lot, yeah. and a lot of, yeah. a lot of times uh, these are done for VIPs, higher ups, wherever the case may be, you know, and so uh, we had some staffers from D.C. come down to Fort Bragg and they wanted to see what our capabilities are, what's what is soft. And usually uh, when this happens, they're escorted by a green suitor, you know, a member of the army and they escort them so that they can help answer questions. Um, if we use any army jargon, they can explain uh, what we're talking about, kind of puts into context sure. uh everything so we had i so my team we're it was like it was one of those things where whoever touches their nose last uh is it and we were you know we drew drew the short straw and we you know it was our day to do it so we went out and we had you know we, we brought out all our weapons we brought out all our kit um we gave a little demonstration of what we do. Each guy on the team talked about their, um, what their job was. And it got, got to me and it was this little, um, black, the, the, the green suitor was a, a black female, uh, Sergeant major. 
highest ranking, the highest rank you can get as an enlistment. So mm. as being enlisted in the army, and she, this is her. She's 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 the one escorting these staffers, and then these staffers are like interns, essentially from DC that are you know they're high schoolers, you know, like not high schoolers, but you know f- sophomores and juniors in college. Sure, you know, sure. So we're talking about what we do, and she comes up to me after my demonstration. You know, I'm the engineer on the team, and I'm talking about um, explosives, and I have some fake explosives and some whatnot in front of me, and I'm talking about what I do for my job. And the staffers move on, but the sergeant major, she can't like she stops in front of me, and almost as if she's expecting my reaction to be the same as her reaction. She looks at me and says, how do you feel about having female green berets on your team? I think I said, honestly, I think that's the dumbest thing you can ever do to, to the female. That's the worst thing you can possibly do to a special forces team. Oh, sure. And, you know, in, have, was I kind of going overboard? I probably was by making that statement, but I stand by it. You know, I feel like it's, it will destroy marriages regardless, regardless mm. of sure. anything that happens because now, you know, wives who are used to their husbands being away for long periods of time are got it in the back of their head that the one chick on their team is probably sleeping with everybody, you know, well, that's not, oh sure. That's not that girl's problem. It's the wise problem. That's what the argument. Sure, is, yeah, right? for sure, right? But you know, you still have to take that in consideration. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's things that you have, still have to take in consideration. Um, you got to understand that not everybody in the world treats women the same. You know, it's a man's world in other places. Sure. And um, so you know, I, I I was like, I think that's really really dumb. And she looked at me and it was like, well, it's going to happen regardless if you like it or not. Right. Check. Well, then why do you ask me? <laughs> well, because because the the elitism in DC is palpable, mm. and it does. And in a close, you can be a peon, you can be a janitor in DC cleaning the president's toilet and your ranking, your social ranking amongst other janitors is so sure. much higher than it would be if you were at the Marriott hotel doing the same thing. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's all about whose butt you're wiping. Right. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and these elites come down with these ideas. And so there's a few things. A lot of these people are out of touch with what they think should, uh, what the military experience should be to versus what the military experience actually is. Mm. Okay. Okay. So let me qualify that. So I just, let me qualify that statement. So let's say for instance, you have a, a infantry company, um, of 180 guys. All right. 40, you got three platoons of guys that are, or four platoons of 40 guys, 44 guys. So what's that? Uh, 160, 172 guys. All right. So you have 172 guys in the company. 
and one of them and they're getting ready to deploy let's just and then so for months these guys are they're knowing each other's uh they know how each other move they're getting in the groove they're you know discipline is really high and then one guy in that group says you know what i don't like my penis anymore i think i i think i want to i think i want to be a woman now okay so now you just diminished your capability so is that guy replaceable mm. yeah but here's the reality that guy is still on the company books okay mm. and he can't he can be taken off the books and put somewhere else but now you have to take someone who doesn't have the same experience and put him in all right oh sure sure you know so now you you have that that guy he's probably now doing somebody else another occupation like he's he's a qualified infantryman but now he's doing administrative duties because he's taking hormone treatments right sure so now you know you this guy is on the unit's books and it's like you can't do nothing with them while they're doing their treatment or you know i don't know what the case i mean you know i might be talking out of my butt on this but or even with pregnancy. Now, this I can I, I can probably talk about because pregnancy, you know, like you have a female and you know mm-hmm. she's qualified, sure. and now if you know if she's always gone, you, know, you got to have someone fill in her position. Now, when you go out to the field, you have to have someone fill in her position. But because she's pregnant and she's part of the unit, she's still in the company books, and you can't fill in that position until they they transfer her. They actually put her in a so they so what they do is. Oh they, yeah. They take them out and put them in another unit so that they can still progress in their career. Mm-hmm. And it ends up happening is the women, you know, I want women, I want females to serve in the military. I don't, I don't want, and I want, you know, I don't, I just don't want it to be one of those situations um, where the guys are making all the sacrifice while people who want this special treatment, get out of actually serving they're working there's a difference between serving and working you know you're, mm. you're serving when you're you're actually making a sacrifice you're working when you're going home you know without the sac the, without making the same sacrifice mm-hmm. you know of going out to the field without making the same sacrifice of going to uh deployment going on deployments or tdy's where the case may be if you're in a unit taking up space and you're not actively deploying or training with the units and you're going through, you know, pregnancy, I'm not going to even talk about because that's a natural thing. That's a, that's a thing that, uh, it occurs naturally in nature. Sure. Sure. You know, I don't think a bear, a grizzly bear that doesn't like its nuts is going to bite them off. And, uh, say, hey, now I'm a female bear. Accept me for who you, who I am. No, that's not going to happen, you know. And so, my point is, when we do these things, these people who want these special want this stuff, they don't realize what they're doing to the unit. They're only thinking about themselves. And I guess what I would propose for those people: hey, do your when you say do your six years right, and at the last two years of your time 
we'll pull you out of your unit so you can go focus on that and getting out of the army mm, and sure. let me put somebody else in that position. So you're not eating up a space. Sure. Um, or, Hey, let me pull you out for two years so you can focus on that. Um, and you know, you can still, you can still serve, find ways to serve, you know, but the problem there, and there's other problems that the military inherently when you do things like that now you know there's a command involved you know <laughs> um there's and i just don't like the i don't like the military becoming a uh like a, just a big social experiment i really don't sure um, i don't like the military being a a place where people go to figure out whether or not they are you know what their sexuality is you know, do that on your own time. Um, don't work. And if, if you figure it out, if you figure it out, why are you, you know, your uniform, uh, make sure it doesn't interfere with your daily duties. That's and And so the big question, I guess we can walk away from all this is why do I care? I'm not in the military anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So why do I care? What's the, what's the, what's the big, so what, um, as the, as the military goes, so goes the country. Hmm. And, um, so why do I say that? So, uh, let's, let's take COVID for instance, right. Um, when soldiers were saying no to COVID, there were a lot of civilians out there saying, and, and prior military saying, well, you're given an order, so you do it. Mm, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, we don't follow orders. Not today. We don't follow orders today blindly. Meaning mm. the person issuing out the order usually gives an intent the intent is the whole point of the intent is for the subordinate leaders to be able to take the ball and run with it Mm -hmm. all right but not every leader has looked at every possible course of action and has come up with a solution to that course of action. All right. So, cause he can't think of everything back in mm-hmm. the day, it was the leader's responsibility to think about everything. And it was totally on him at the end of the day that whatever the mission, you know, was a success, whether he did what he was supposed to do or he said he was going to do regardless mm-hmm. of the outcome. And so you're the train of thought in army thinking back in the, like when I first joined was, Hey, you get an order, you do it. Then as I got older, it was, Hey, we're going to give you the intent or what my intentions are. And we're going to let you run with it and get the same results. Sure. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so the intent 
I forgot what was going on, what I was talking about originally. Um, just the the <clears throat> the change in leadership. Yeah. So the from intent... just questioning orders, the the ability yeah. to question orders. Yeah. So the 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 thing is, all right. So usually the the leader when he's given the orders, he's going to give you like the most likely the most dangerous courses of action, and. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times that's developed by subordinate leaders, you know, because again, a, um, a general can't think about everything. He's thinking about big picture things, mm-hmm. but most danger courses of action, most likely courses of action, courses of action, wherever the case may be. And so then those are all developed by down at the subordinate levels. And so if something seems too risky we can also we can we can try to mitigate it by changing the plan you know um as long as there's a plan in place you know i don't want anyone to think that you know people can question everything because at some point you're gonna have to follow in an order a direct order Mm -hmm. you know so um but there was no, I, I, I guess my point is during COVID, there was no, no one thought to think about the most dangerous courses of action, the most likely courses of action. They were just doing what the president said and following mm. through. Sure. And I think, I feel like it could have been handled differently. And there's no reason for any of these young men who have lost their, who have been kicked out of the army. There's no, Mm. there is, there's no reason for them getting kicked out of the military. None whatsoever, especially what's going on with COVID today. You know, you got all these, you got all these young, young kids dying. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know for sure if it's because of COVID, you know, so I can't really qualify. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but there, there's definitely something questioning as to <clears throat> the validity of of this of this vaccine. Like, do you it? You know, is it a, a cause? You know, when you have doctors saying, "It's like I was really so surprised about COVID," is how fast doctors just fell in line because I guess it fell in oh, line yeah. with the practice with science so fast but sure how long does a drug usually go through a trial before it's deemed safe Mm -hmm. years at least five years right i'm in acquisitions army acquisitions and it's usually a five-year process for you know Mm. for any type of training aid that's like a simulator like if a simulator was going from concept to putting it in in the soldier's hands Five years. That's how long it takes. Sure. And I think, yeah. if I remember right, it's the same thing for medicine. But I'm not, I don't. I don't want to talk like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so at at the end of the day, man, I, I I sit back and I was like, you know, this is a bad thing to do to the military, and mm. I I know the numbers are small. Uh, I think it's less than 10,000 soldiers across all four branches uh, are being chaptered out of the military for refusing to. Oh, okay. 
take the uh, take the uh, the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And so I think the I think the subordinate leaders like this was made up top without talking to the subordinate lead. Like how how is this going to affect the population of the uh, military, and how is this going to affect the perception um, of the civilian populace? Sure. Of its of its view of the military. And um, maybe maybe it was, you mean, you know, maybe the brains that be looked at it and was like, you know what, it's such a low number. We're willing to risk it. It's a risk, you know, willing, worth taking. But mm-hmm. to what end? To what it like? What's right? Like <laughs> the question is, like, what is this? Like there has to be something like I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but there has to be something bigger than this, you know, um, that you just can't I just can't put my finger on it. Like, why are we why are we uh looking at why why are we letting COVID what because post COVID is worse than going through COVID in my opinion, like everything that's going on right now is mm. worse when COVID was in full swing. Um, sure. As far as the deficit, as far as, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the religion of, uh, global warming. And then you have, you know, you had all the riots. I think what we're going through right now, post COVID is pretty bad. And cause it's the psychological effect because we're not, we don't trust the government anymore. We don't trust the political leaders. We don't trust mm-hmm. the media anymore. We don't trust. Um, and I, I'm thoroughly convinced that there's foreign actors that are at play within our government that that have infiltrated our government and infiltrated the uh, the powers that be and are manipulating. And I don't really think that the president of the United States is really in charge right now. Um, there's a cabal of, uh, of his administration that's actually calling the shots and he doesn't know what shots are being called. You know, he's, right. he, he's, he's too busy, you know, sniffing little girl's heads and eating ice cream cones to follow his own narratives. Um, right. Right. So, so it, it's really scary. Uh, it's, um, I was listening to another podcast uh, uh, the other day, uh, and they were talking about uh, Sear School. There was a Navy SEAL talking about uh, mm. Sear School, and in Sear School, uh, Sear stands for Survival, Escape, Resistance, Evade. Mm-hmm. And like one of the first stories you you read in Sear School, or you or anecdotal. Uh, videos you'll watch is in North Korea during the Korean war that captured, um, 14 sailors and the North Koreans were very great, very good at, um, propaganda. And they were very good at convincing, uh, getting people to turn against their country, especially us soldiers, sailors. Mm. So these, there was, uh, you know, there was 14, of a, of a crew that was thoroughly convinced that the country, that the United States was evil. You know, they convinced them that they were evil. Mm. Um, 
But the whole point of Sears School is, is teaching you to resist against uh it's 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 to, it's to resist against conf- the I, how did you say it it's it's to resist against the uh, the powers that be that are trying to transform this government into something that it really isn't mm. that's the gist mm-hmm. of it sure and so um seer school messed the like haven't gone through the training myself. I haven't been the same since I've been through the training. Like, I don't like after going through the training and mm. I start to see the patterns that they were talking about that were established in the training in sure. some of the popular uh, news broadcasts at the time. Like for instance, Sean Hannity, he would, he was great at really repeating the same things over and over and over again until you, until you were convinced that it was almost true. And oh, soon sure. as you know, like regardless if it was true or not, he would repeat the same thing over and over and over again. And that's what they do. You know, that that's the, you know, we can see it through uh, the, um, the transgender. Or you can see it through climate change, climate change, climate change, climate change, COVID, 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 COVID. You know, you're not safe if you're not wearing a mask. Uh, if you get the vaccine, you won't, we can stop wearing the mask. It's not, you can't transmit it, you know? So they start repeating these lies. They start telling these lies and repeating these lies. And then they couldn't remember what lies they were telling. And then, you know, um, you have, you uh, you probably seen it on the internet where they have like 40 different, uh, news broadcasts and the broadcaster is saying verbatim. Like right. Each sure they break it down. They're all saying things verbatim as if scripted. And that's what makes me think and convinces me that there is something bigger happening. And um and it's it's if if we don't wake up, if we don't really keep her if we it will take for us the sacrifices it would take would would be astronomical and it all has to do with turning off the cell phone and turning off TV, you know, seriously, you seriously would have to stop using the cell phone and the internet only for, and only in restrict yourself to only using those things just for work. And that's it in order for things to, but as long as we're connected to these devices, they have all the control that they can, possibly have over our lives they know where we're at they know what they can find out who we're talking to when we're talking to them uh your your phone can check into a uh, can um, check in to, into a store to say hey i'm at this store so that now they can receive advertisements onto your blog or onto your feeds right. your right. twitter feed they you can go you go to the doctor now your smart watches can uh transfer data to your doctor and your doctor can now say hey i saw i saw you had a fall you you fell three weeks ago and you're all right you can tell me about it like how do you know i fell you know sure um, or Crazy. for women they can they can check out their uh they can check for their their menstrual cycles when they're having like all this information that we're putting on these devices can be captured and analyzed yeah. and that those analysis will give uh, the right people, the right of information they need to, steer, to socially engineer your thoughts 
to to whatever way they want you to think. Um, mm-hmm. And it's 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 kind of it's really scary to even talk about. And it's not even and I might it, it I'm not even being conspir uh, conspiratorial about it. This is what's actually happening. Sure, um, sure. And as to what degree is happening and who it's happening to, it's it's all a, a, a question in the air. Hmm. And the sad thing is, the way they can get away with it is that not every country has the same FCC laws as the United States. So hmm. say, for instance, <clears throat> they don't have to do it. They don't have to start doing it in the United States first, but they can go somewhere where the laws aren't as strict or looser the laws are a little bit looser and mm. they can run all these algorithms on on the the, the indigenous population of of any country and sure. then take just the to same test anal- the system just to test the, to do to do a what they call a, a functions check right and that functions check can last a year or two mm-hmm. and then they can say all right let's take this to the united states and then they can start tweaking it however they want to tweak it and they can get it so that when you're on Twitter, like if you ever notice on, you go to a, uh, a Joe Biden, like he'll, I follow Joe Biden. Right. So um, I read his comments in the first five right. or six comments. Well, me, let me back up a little bit. So during the election 2020, I would listen to, I would, I was subscribed to Biden. I was, uh, I was following, um, uh, Trump before they kicked him off on Twitter. And mm-hmm. I would see, I would see, I, I started noticing a pattern. So I would read the comments in Trump in the first, uh, the first say like 30 comments were all like, F you Trump, you're a traitor. What about Russia? Blah, 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 blah. And then you, you break that layer, you get past that layer. Then it was like, Oh, I'm glad you're, I'm so glad and then you know, all the positives will be behind it, trailing it. Mm. Oh, I see what you, where you're going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you go to Biden. He was like, oh, you know, it, like, you know, they're cupping the balls and they're like at the base and they're just like, Ugh. and then you, you see all this, hey, you, we're glad you're our president. And it's like, it, it'll go like 20, like I think his is about 15 on average, 15 to 17 on mm-hmm. average of positive and then after that it's all crappy or or um then you have like the santas you have all like three or four uh negatives and then all the rest are positive sure then you look at charlie crisp he will have one positive he has like two hundred and forty eight thousand followers versus uh DeSantis having like four or five million mm-hmm. and his he will have one positive, one or two positives, and then the rest are like "f you," you know, "you suck," "why are you even trying," you know. And so it's really comical to hear. But I started to see this pattern, and I'm wondering, like, like who controls, like, um, like whoever the the person's posting, you you'll see that they have a lot of people following them. And I'm like, how in the heck, like I, I'll like the other day I was at 900 and or 9,000 
and 975 followers. Quit bragging. Four. No, 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 no. Check this out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I lost. I lost 500. I lost oh, 500. Okay. So I'm like, wow. Huh. What did I say? And then next thing you know, I'm back up to like 9,700. Right. So I'm like, what the heck is going on here? You know, and then I see everybody else saying, hey, I'm lost. I'm losing followers. I'm gaining, you know, I'm down. I think it was one person said, hey, I'm down like five or six hundred followers. And I'm just I I only follow it out of curiosity because I have not been able to break 10,000 no matter. Oh, sure. And I think there's like a like. Like you, I don't know what you have to do to break ten thousand. I don't know if you have to buy, <laughs> buy a boost or whatever. But right. I cannot break ten thousand, and to save my life, like I, I like I've been up to like nine hundred and nine or nine thousand nine hundred ninety, and then go back to like nine thousand uh, to ninety six hundred. I'm like, how did that even happen? Right. So there's something in the algorithm that doesn't like me you know you know it's just like hey you're not going to get 10 grand you know <laughs> uh, and i don't know if like if you get 10 grand they start having to compensate you what the deal is <laughs> right right <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, huh. it's just really weird and i'm surprised i'm just happy to be where i'm at you know and uh, i'm not really sure if i'm reaching out like uh, i'm not really sure the type of person that i'm reaching out to Mm. Or what is exactly an appeal or just, you know, the, the goons on, uh, on Twitter are very, is a kind of a tight knit group of people mm-hmm. that have been around for a while. Um, I think I've been on Twitter since 2019, 2018, I think. Mm, okay. No, 2020, maybe. I don't know. Okay. But I haven't been on Twitter long. And, um, I got, you know, army buddies of mine getting on. I'm like, dude, stay off because, you know, the sergeant, the sergeant major, to the, like I, I put the sergeant major of the army on blast quite a bit and he responds right. back. Somebody's responding back and I don't want you guys I'm to sorry. get, I don't want you guys getting wrapped up in, you know, liking my, one of my father, one of my comments. Right. And the next thing you know, you're, getting, you're not getting promoted for whatever. Right, reason. right. <laughs> so um yeah i just i realized that um we're i'm we're doing this a little backwards today and i never got around to introducing you so if someone's stuck around this long <laughs> um <laughs> we're talking to javier who uh let's see i think if i did the math correctly there could be somebody listening to this episode who just joined on a waiver on an age waiver who was not alive when you first deployed. So, so if, if I'm incorrect, it's very close to that. So, so there's a, there's history. There's some history here in the room. Yeah. So the, the contextually, when I was a uh, instructor at the university of central Florida, there were kids I was instructing that I was teaching military leadership to that was anywhere between three and seven years old when nine 11 happened. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then they lived their whole life knowing that we were in war and they joined knowing that they could go to combat. So, Oh, oh, right. Yeah. They don't remember a, a pre G Watt America. Right. They don't yeah. remember a time in our life when there was no cell phones, <laughs> where there's no DVD players, when there's everybody had a computer. Um, yep. Everybody had a flat screen TV. You know, <laughs> I remember having a black and white TV. That's how old I am. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and when shows were in color, they still show other shows that were in black and white. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's kind of wild, ain't it? You know, so uh, it, it's a, uh, the, the world is moving fast and the, is forcing our youth to grow up faster than they need to be. Mm-hmm. I remember we didn't put an electric device into like, we didn't put a screened device into our kids' hands until they were uh, teenagers. And when mm. I did it, I, nice. when I did it, I, I, uh, regretted it. I regretted it. I regretted it. I, to this day, I, when I think about it, I was like, man, that was probably one of the dumbest things me and my wife have ever did growing up, you know, was put, you know, get, getting our girls phones because mm. now they can shut us out of their life. Mm, sure. Yeah. And that's what I've kind of felt what was happening when we did that. So, um, I wish we can go back in time and, uh, I, I wish we can go back in time and rethink the impact of these electronic devices would have on our, on ourselves. Cause we, all we did was like, all we did was say, wow, this is really cool. We have the technology. We took mirror Palm pilots. I don't know. I don't know how old you are, but. Do you oh yeah. yeah. Yep. Palm pilots, Palm pilots. Yep. Like there someone looked at that and said, Hey, we don't, why don't we make this a phone, you know? And next thing you know, I mean, at one point they were able to get, I remember uh, I was working for Sony and uh, we would sell Palm pilots and they were, they had, you know, you can connect it to the internet. But you have to, you know, take your phone outlet and stick it into a little device, you know, right. another device. Right. And you can get on the internet and send email. That was about it. Um, you couldn't like, you couldn't like, you know, search, you know, baseball stats or anything like that. Right. Right. Um, so, but uh, the technology, uh, I'm glad we have it. But I think we've, it's it's going to be our crutch. It's going to be because I mean I don't know if you ever watched Star Trek. And, no, uh, I'm I'm vaguely familiar. Like when Captain Kirk, he would have his little comms device, and it was a flip phone. You know, right, essentially right. what we call a flip phone. You know, <laughs> but he was. And I remember seeing that as a kid. I'm like, man, are am I going to ever live that live in that world? You know. Um, mm-hmm. and the, little do I know, you know, I, I'm within that generational range where I am living in that world. And I wonder how much more of that, of what was sci-fi when I was a kid is going to be reality as a senior citizen, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, 
I remember the first Nintendo Entertainment System. And very few people had it. Mm-hmm. And even when I got it, I only played maybe an hour's worth of games. And then I was outside doing other things, you know? Right, right. Um, Living. Yeah, you know? And there was... An, and two, I think the reason why I didn't play a lot is because we only had one TV. And I couldn't hog up the TV for my dad. Right, you know? right. <laughs> So he'll, you know, he'll get upset and be like, Hey, I want to watch the game. You got to turn that off, you know? And, and I didn't have a TV in my room, but nowadays you can, you know, it doesn't take much to buy a TV and then they're pretty sure. transportable. And if you break it, you know, I just buy a new one. Hmm. And, but, um, yeah, man, I, it, there's a lot of things that I've grown to like being able to travel, so my wife and I, we tra- we do quite a bit of traveling uh, when post or pre-COVID. So before COVID, we would uh, go all over the world. You know, I would mm-hmm. I went to. Um, I don't know if you ever been to Iceland. No, but if you ever get a chance, man, I, I highly recommend it. Oh, I bet. Uh, it's it's a uh, fantastic opportunity to see terrain. Um, change in a matter of minutes. They're like you can huh. be driving, you can be driving along the coastline, and it'd be nothing but lava flows, and then you hit a lo- uh, an old lava field, and it's all gro- you know has grass all grown over it, and then hmm. you know five miles later, you're up in the mountains, and it's raining. Um, it's it's wow. just a beautiful a beautiful country. Um, uh, the the domesticated animals, they at one, once the temperature gets warm enough, they just set them free, and you know you're talking about hundreds of goats hmm. and sheep just wandering the country, and then uh, once a year, at the end of the, I think it's in October or September, they do a uh, a roundup. They so they round up all the cattle and livestock, oh. and they go to one. Everybody goes to one spot. Really, to, f- to find their livestock, huh. <laughs> and it's like a big deal. It's a big deal. We didn't get a chance to see that because we were there in August, so mm-hmm. we didn't. Uh, we weren't quite there, but uh, you get to see like you get to. Uh, it's the closest I felt to God than I felt anywhere else in the world because hmm. you. Uh, you see this, like you can go stand right next to this ginormous waterfall and watch millions and millions of gallons of water just spill over a rock and just be like, oh my, like for me anyway, it was like, it, cause I, I believe in science and I believe in God and I believe that God and science intermix. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. just like, I'm just like, man, the, this is what God made. This is because he is who he, you know, he, he is who he is. This is reason why we have what we have and we can grow there appreciate it. So mm-hmm. it was just such a beautiful place. Did a lot of beauty, like did some really nice hiking, went to Peru, uh, took my family to Peru and we, and we took our kids, like we've always taken our kids, whenever we traveled, no matter where we went from the 
when they were babies to adult, you know, to teenagers, we always took our kids because we wanted our kids to be part of the experience. We wanted sure. them to experience the same things we're experiencing. And um, with that, you know, we had to sacrifice uh, some comforts to have our family together, but, you know, we wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, to be able to be at those sites with, um, with my, my kids, it was awesome. Like we went to, uh, Peru and we went to visit, uh, uh, Machu Picchu mm. and you want to talk about, I mean, the, you mean you like you see when you see the rocks, you see how high when you when you see how high Machu Picchu is, mm-hmm. and then see these big rocks that these people move from wherever they're they the place of origin to where they finally ended up resting. It blows your mind, like mm. you know, it kind of gives you an idea, like what when man is determined what he can accomplish. Mm, sure yep. you know it's just and and then get and then the engineering of getting the rocks to fit into a specific shape is yep. amazing you know so it's yep. just it's it's a it's something that you can go and you can mm. you you walk away appreciating um what man was able to do long ago and scratch your head as to why aren't we doing the same things today? You know? Right. Um, well, and, and it, it returns your one sense of wonder, you know, cause right. nowadays between, between, you know, the ability to look up any information at the drop of a hat, um, right. between movies that have CGI effects, you know, that we just are just blase to us, you know, and, and just the, the amount of knowledge that's available in the world, um, there's, there's less wonder, you know, there's, right. there's more just like, Oh, well I should know this and this and this, but yeah, when you go and see something like that, you're like, I don't know how this was done. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and I, there's no way I could do it myself. So it, right. there, there's uh there's definitely value there too, where just like, Oh, okay. So there are some things that are outside of my knowledge and it, it helps you have a better, uh, a more honest assessment of yourself and your place. Yeah. In, in the world. Well, yeah. it's also too like what the things that people were able to go to endure, you know. Mm, um sure. we, we just we just went through the uh, hurricane Ian, right? Right. And like a week after the hurricane our uh, our air conditioning goes out upstairs mm. in our upstairs portion of the house. Miserable. I'm like Right. How, how, how in the heck, because I'm thinking of the Seminole Indians, you know, like the Seminole Indians, like just the, the terrain here in Florida alone, it would have been swampy, hard to find uh, high ground, mosquito infested. Uh, so you have vectors you have to worry about. You have crocodiles you have to worry, or alligators you have to worry about and other, you know, wildlife. Right. Um, uh, the panthers that we have here and then um and some of the snakes and these people survived thousands of years in florida before we even showed up and was like yeah you know this is this is life man this is how we live it you know um and then i can't imagine life without air conditioning (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, no kidding. Or uh, or uh, refrigerated food, you know. <laughs> yep. So it, it just blows my mind where we're at, and but also like when times get tough, are we going to be able to? Uh, how are we going to be able to get past those tough times? And you know, mm, sure. Like you know, where where like are we so? Are uh, you ever seen that show Lost? Uh, it's ringing a bell, but all right. So a plane crashes on the island, and the and the just about everybody on the plane survives, and they're just waiting to be rescued. That's the initial premise of mm, of the show. Okay. Well, anyway, they go into they go into survival mode really fast. Like you know, people are there. Are some people who are like, no, we need to get off this island. We need to get rescued. And there's other people like, you know, this could take a while. So let's start building some shelter. You know, right. so there's two camps, sure. you know, <laughs> where you can go. And most definitely you want to be, you want a little bit of both. You want to be able to, uh, uh, use resources on, for getting off the island, but you also want to use resources to survive on the island. Sure. So sure. now there's a struggle between where do we put our energy? Do we put our energy in one thing or in the other? Well, you, reality is you're going to have to do both. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause both camps are right. And it goes back to circling back to the beginning. Like how do you take people into opposing camps and get them working towards the same goal? Mm-hmm. trying to produce and capable of re- producing um, results that will benefit everyone. And um, I think the answer to that is like some social scientists will, will, will say like, well, Hey, we're, we have uh, the community has to come to, it will come to a consensus. And those who are, uh, of one, you know, of one idea will, will eventually probably separate themselves from the other group and then go try to live their life, you know, try to do mm. things the way they feel they do. Um, but I don't know if that's, if we're even capable of doing that much in the, you know, because there's just too much division. You know, we, 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 as a United States, um, uh, as a republic, we're too divided to even amongst our own parties um, to come to join forces to do what is the right, you know, what mm. is actually right um, with any type of visible consistency. You know, we can do it once, right? We can probably maybe if we're lucky, we can probably do it twice if the conditions present are mm-hmm. are presented the same. But if the conditions change one way or the other ever so slightly, it can definitely change the way people view things, which will definitely change how the outcome. So mm. change a outcome. Uh, so it's, it's, I don't know how, our, I don't know if the politicians uh, put it in the politicians hands is the right answer. Mm-hmm. Or is it, it, or is it forming up little tribal groups like we have here at, uh, you know, like we have on Twitter? You know, we have uh, the mill Twitter, some of buddies call it. Uh, and then you have, you know, uh, 
goon Twitter, and the two don't the two don't mix, man. Yeah, <laughs> and right. I don't, and I'm not really sure why. Like, I do understand why. I know why that's the case, but um, and I think it has to do with um, who's shilling for who. You know, like mm. on on Twitter is like you can like you have some of these anonymous accounts that are like a military officer and there's kind of like a cute girl that's sitting there. Oh, you know, I want to be special forces and I want to do all the same things guys do, but I don't want to make all the same sacrifices. And that guy's like, yeah, you, you can do anything you want. You go, girl. And then I, I'm thinking to myself, dude, she's not going to sleep with you. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> if she's even real, yeah. Even she, like yeah. it might be some, it might be some dude, you know, like right, right. And <laughs> um, it, it's just it cracks me up when you see these. Like, uh, there's one, one, there's one account. Uh, when I was new to Twitter, I, I followed it, and at first I was like, you know what, I kind of, I kind of dig what this person has to say, and then, then I was like, they, then they, they said something like you know, uh, it has something to do with being pregnant and, uh, or pregnancy in the, in the force and still being able to do your job. And I'm like, okay. In some instances I get it, you know, sure. all right. You, you might be like, if you're an admin person, yeah, you are still able to do your job, but you know what, if you're one of the few jump masters mm, that a company yeah. has, right. And you get pregnant. Well, guess what? You're not jumping anymore. And, you know, you're not combat effective. And, you know, it, but I don't think they should be kicked out or I don't think their lives should be any harder. Um, I worked mm. with a captain. I worked with a captain. You know, again, what I do is not really important to the uh, what I do now. It's, it's important for the force, but it's not a showstopper. So if you have a, if a captain gets pregnant uh, where I work at. I mean, she can still work from home and that's sure. just the way it is. And sure. <laughs> and that's what happens. That's, that's what happened to the captain that, uh, that, that got pregnant, uh, in my shop. She, uh, she just worked from home for a year mm, and sure. She still made decisions. She was still competent. She was still able to do her job. But, um, one of the things, but we got to talking one day. So she was, her and I were talking and I asked her, it was kind of like the same conversation I had with uh, Travis, but it was me asking the questions. And I was like, so uh, how do you feel about females going into combat arms? And she was like, I think the one, <laughs> and she goes, she goes, the, she thinks she felt the women that were wanting to go combat arms were only doing it because it was something new, you know, it was something, mm. it wasn't something they really wanted. It wasn't something that they wanted to pursue a career and they just wanted to be able to say, yeah, I did that, you know, and that's the thing that we don't need in the army. And there's sure. a lot of schools. There's a lot of schools in the army that you can, I call them participation schools where you can go get the qualification and never do the job. And they do it, and I, I don't think that's right. I really don't. I don't. I, I think that's the dumbest thing in the world. Sure. Um, to to send to spend a couple thousand dollars to, to like airborne school, for instance, is one of those things. 
Hey, I want to go to airborne school. All right. Do you want to go to an airborne unit? No, I just want the jump, jump wings. Right. Right. No, 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 no. No, you don't get it. You are actually going to like, in fact, what we're going to do is if you go to the school, when you get back, you're going to be put on orders and you're going to go to an airborne unit. And then. Sure. You know, and then now this person's like, all right, I'll do it just to do it. And so they go do their time and then leave and never do it again. That's fine. All right. You got your money's worth out of them. But then there's other mm-hmm. schools like uh, Pathfinder, you know, uh, or Air Assault School, for instance. You know, they, they it's Air Assault School is mainly just to get you familiar with, uh, with operating in and around helicopters and then building sure. sling loads to a specific specification so that this so that the helicopter can then suspend that item underneath its belly and fly with it. That's right. all air assault right. is. It really doesn't take doing a 12 mile, a 12 mile, six mile ruck march, a four mile and six mile run. It doesn't take all it takes is for you to know how to do an inspection on a sling load and how to hook it up to the helicopter. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Everything else, it like they and they make it so like they make it, they just do stupid things to make it hard for no reason. Sure, they, you know it just, and then anybody can do it. You know, it's not like you know, like you're supposed to be air assault qualified, but when you're in Afghanistan, you don't have that many air assault qualified people in your unit. Guess what? You're doing it anyway. Right. So what's the right. point? What so what's the point of sending guys to that school if that's the case? Um, uh, and that's something that I don't want ranger school or, uh, special forces or seal training to become a, Hey, I, I want to do it just because I want, I, I want, you know, I want the tab on my shoulder, but I'd never want to have to be in a ranger mm-hmm. unit or special forces unit, you know, um, because I think that to me is a sacred thing that that those schools are a sacred thing because those guys who go through that training and then go to those units are given you know they're given everything they're given a hundred percent every day where it's expected whereas with a regular unit it's not expecting they they want you to do the standard and the standard isn't a hundred percent the standard is uh in some cases sixty percent Mm-hmm. You know, and so at 60 percent, you're on a sliding on a scale of 100, uh, zero to 100, 100 being the best. 60 percent is a D, right? A D is what danger of failing. So that's the standard. That's the standard. You know, that's the that's the bare minimum you have to do in order to be a soldier in the army. Right. And then right now they're saying, hey, you know. We want we want everybody to have an opportunity to do this. We uh, we want everybody to you know uh, who who wants to no matter what demands you know no matter what they they want to if they want to join um, uh, special forces they can you know like hold on no no there's there's a process through this you know and you have to go through the process. And well, the process is too hard and it's not accessible to everybody. Well, no, that's the whole point. Mm, that, that, right. that, is the, that is the whole point, you know? Right. Um, 
the whole point is, and then guess what? Once you get your tab, you're expected to be, to perform at a certain level every time, all the time. Mm -hmm. Here I am retired and I feel like I'm still in the army because I got that, I was awarded that stupid tab, you know, (laughs) you know, but um, it's, you know, you know, some of the guys that we follow, that some of the people that we mutually follow on, um, on Twitter, um, they absolutely love their job, man. They Mm -hmm. like, uh, they get a a guy that supports special forces or a Navy SEAL team or whatever. Those guys are the cream of the crop. You know, those guys are, are truck drivers that love being truck drivers. They're, they're admins that love being admins. They're uh, radio men that love being radio men. You mm-hmm. know, uh, it sucked being in the army in a communications unit where people hated their, like, I, like I told you, I hated my job, but I mm-hmm. did it. I did it with enthusiasm. You know, I was like, yeah, all right, this is cool. We get to go out. Sure. We get to, we get to go out, we get to go out into the world and do some cool stuff, you know? Right. But, um, yeah, we, and, but it really sucked being around people who didn't want to be there. I don't know mm. if you ever worked those type of jobs, but, uh, right. And where you, where you really enjoyed your job and then you're working around people who really don't like the job. Right. And, um, yeah. It just was, brings everybody I down into an, I walked into my first ODA, you know, everybody there was like, loved what they were doing. Um, yep. and then our, we only had like a 12, uh, special forces team has 12 guys. When I, when I got to my team, I think there was maybe six, we had half that seven, hmm. I think seven. And now I made number eight. So we didn't have a full special forces team and we were getting, and we were busy, you know, I got, um, because I was the youngest people didn't have confidence in me. And because I came from a, what they considered a soft, a, uh, a soft S O F T skill, M uh, M O S in the army. Right. That I needed, a little more training than everybody else, which I didn't really mind, you know, but, um, it took some time for me to get where, you know, I had, I got the, you know, it took some time to get the new guy smell off of me. And when I, Mm -hmm. when I was able to prove my worth, you know, a lot of the, uh, shenanigans I was involved in, uh, went away. So, (laughs) you know, having that new guy smell, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, they can see you a mile away, you know. Right, <laughs> right. Can you hear me? You can hear. Yeah, me. I can't yeah. hear you. Oh no. Oh. Um. And. Ta-da! Oh, now it's show- now it's saying your mic is unknown, but that just hello. Yeah, it's that one. It's that one. Yeah, it's that one. All right. So it should be good. Okay. Um, I don't remember where we were, but as usual, we had technical issues, so we'll blame uh, you. <laughs> I don't know. Just ask a question, and we can go from there. Yeah, yeah. I have. I do have a few questions that I like to ask um, every guest. 
Um, I was considering mm-hmm. since we're doing everything different on this episode to, uh, to just not, but, but, uh, I will anyways. Um, one, one question when, um, if a young kid asked you, told you I'm, I'm want to join the military. Um, what advice do you have for me? What would you say in response to that? Uh, you know, if you're, if he's under 18, I would say, uh, you know, I would first ask what, why I want to know why, you know, like Mm. what's, what's your, what's your reason? You know, because my first answer would be, Hey, go out and experience life for a year or two before you make that decision. See what's out there Mm -hmm. because that one year, away from home or uh, experiencing life before you join the military uh, will give you a lot of opportunity of growth Mm. Um, because you're, you know, a young kid in there that's 18 year old, their brain isn't fully developed. Right. You know, (laughs) Um, they, they don't know what it's like to really go through a, a real breakup they don't know what it's like to get yelled at by somebody that's younger than they are and they can't do anything about it. Um, there's a, you know, there's, I would definitely say, Hey, and I've had this discussion with kids and I'm like, no, once you guys, once you put it off, think about it when you come back, you know, it's up to you, but I wouldn't, I would wait until you're about 21, 22 to do it. Um, go get some college experience. Um, experience you know see a few things in life so that you know what you got you know Mm, you have something to fight for you know when i joined when i was 23 i had something to fight for you know Um, right so that that was one thing um stupid glares <laughs> it's given a, a nice effect to the to the yeah. picture <laughs> but yeah so go, having that having that opportunity to see other things in life um and uh serve serve other people was was really nice and uh mm. mm-hmm. you know that you know being charitable learning to be charitable um sacrificing for something, you know, other than your country, I think it's a good thing to do before you, uh, go all in Mm -hmm. a lot of guys that, uh, joined off the street, uh, for SF, you know, some of them were, uh, one guy that was in my company, he was sailing around the world in a sailboat when 9-11 occurred and he sailed into New York or Boston, somewhere mm. on the East coast and sold his boat and enlisted into the army. Wow. Like yep. he, he was like, yeah, dude, I was in the middle of sailing around the world when that happened. Right. Uh, another guy uh, was a dancer, was a, uh, a, he was a dancer for Britney Spears. So he was on tour. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah. When 9-11 happened and quit and he was in my unit, (laughs) it was kind of weird because, you know, get, you know, 
you sitting around the team room getting to know one another and you find out like a guy that you uh that you uh that's on your team is now you know not now but he used to be a a, a dancer you know the, right. the, a stage dancer like get, get right. the crap out of here you know or uh so you know it's it, it, there's opportunities for kids to grow that mm-hmm. I would definitely tell them, you know, to take advantage of before they uh, decide to, you know, go all in and join the military um, because they can get injured, you know, just in training alone. Mm. Sure. So, yeah, that's what I would tell them. I was like, hey, just experience a few things. Get a girlfriend, right. you know, <laughs> go to college, you know, because there's some advantages of going to college before joining, you know, and mm, sure. Not yeah. Not a bad deal, you know. Hmm. What's what's something you you know now that you wish you'd known before you joined? Something that I know now that I wish I knew before I joined. You know, there's nothing. I, you know what is, there's a lot of things that I wish I would have known about the, about the army, but at the end of the day, I'm glad I found out when exactly when I needed to find out, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Cause <laughs> you, you, you can sit there because there's no war gaming your first three years in the army. There's no war game in it. Yeah. You, you're told where to be, when to be there, how to be there. Air, you know, your life is dictated to you. So mm-hmm. um, had I known, th- I wish I wish they would have, because I didn't, when I joined the Army, they, you couldn't join Special Forces off the street. You had to have at least three years in the military or be promotable to sergeant before right. you can go to the queue before you can go to selection. Right. And so <clears throat> had I known, I think I had, I known there's nothing I would have changed, but I would have definitely, uh, trained a little bit harder. Mm. Um, before going, you know, bef- while I was in the military during my sure. time, I was, waiting for that transition. I was in good shape, man. I mean, tell you, I was really good shape and nine 11, man, I, I, everything meant after nine 11, everything meant. I I gave meaning to everything I did. Like I, Mm. I, every push up was because I needed to be strong enough to get through the Q course, every run. I needed to be fast enough to make it to a team. Every rucksack, every ruck march, you know, because this is what Green Berets do. So, um, hmm. everything about everything about everything up to uh, in leading up to nine eleven and after nine eleven changed. Like I wasn't the same. I was definitely not the same type of soldier I was on September tenth than I was on September twelfth. Uh, sure but because i was because it became everything became real yeah and so different focus and yeah 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 and it's mm-hmm. not until you're really facing that 
I, I you know, it's, it's different for everyone, but I think it's, it's not really until you're facing those uh, situations that you, that things, that things were once a fantasy become reality all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. yeah, that's how I would answer that. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's say, let's, let's assume that, uh, that the list, and I think it's a safe assumption that the listener uh, enjoys the the uh, sound of your voice and wants to hear more of it. How <laughs> how would they go about that, or or if they want to look into you or follow you somewhere? What what's well, the they best can way just to follow me on Facebook. I had a like you know I have a uh, a YouTube channel where I do where I was doing land navigation. Mm. Uh, map reading, just basics. I, I I do that for a living anyway. So I was just like, you know what? You know, I think some people uh, would enjoy this. And then I got into it for a little bit and then I just kind of petered out. Mm. Um, but see, hearing my lovely voice, you can probably catch me on, uh, catch a couple of the, uh, some other podcasts that I've been on. Um, there will be bourbon by Eric. Mm. Uh, he's, I haven't seen much of him on, on Twitter, but I've been on his show a few times with, uh, Joe Kent once with Joe Kent. And then, um, a, few, a couple times, just me and, uh, miss me and Eric. And then there's, uh, the Braxton McCoy show Braxton, uh, mm. McCoy is awesome. Yeah. He, uh, great, great guy to talk to full of good insight, you know, just, you know, he's a cowboy through and through. And, um, he has the, uh, what he has, he he does a couple of things where he has a couple of roundups where people from Twitter will, uh, get together with him out in, uh, in Wyoming where he's at and go out into the, uh, mountains and, uh, just see the sights. And the guy's really resourceful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Citizen Hush. Haven't seen him on Twitter in a while. I was on on his show a few times. Really good dude. It was a great guy, great guy to talk to. Um, and then, yeah, you know, follow Joe Kent. He's running for, I think, District 3 in Washington. He's uh, running for mm. Congress there. And if you live in that area, vote for him. He's a very, he's an American first conservative. And he works. I, I actually uh, went through the Q course with Joe. Uh, we used to. We actually mm-hmm. went to a few parts of the Q course together. It was pretty funny. <laughs> He's a great guy to hang out with. Uh, we we share some sh- share some memories, and so um, look him up. He's a he's a great great dude to listen to. He has some really good ideas. I'm I'm excited to see him. Uh, uh, I hope he gets elected. And when he does, it's going to be really exciting to see him on TV. Uh, he, mm. he can, he's been on uh, Tucker quite a few times. Tucker mm. Carlson. Okay. Sure. sure. And uh, so and there's a lot of other Green Berets and Navy SEALs and service members who are out there serving, uh, getting into the political arena. Uh, I thought about it for a little bit and, you know, I was like, you know what? I don't want to put my wife and my family through anything. So um, mm. I, sure. I, I'm going I'm to step, I'm, a, I'm just going to be a commentator on the sidelines and then uh, 
let it go from there. Um, right. Right. But I still, I have the itch though. I really do have the itch where I'm sitting there like, you know what? I, I can do this. I, and I have some really good ideas, but um, I just don't want to put my family in. Mm, sure. Sure. Um, I think yeah, it's, I can, it's a big deal for sure. I mean, it affects everybody in your family and not necessarily adversely, but definitely it's a, it's a huge impact. So it's, it, uh, if you do it, you definitely want everybody on board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. And, and too, you don't want them to have to live their life a certain way in order to, you know, the, you want them to be happy. And, you know, your life is on display at any given time. Mm-hmm. Any little foul up can ruin it, you know, and so you don't want, I, I just want my my family and my wife to live a normal life and, um, you know, just leave me alone, stay out of my business. Right. You know? Right. Uh, I'll help you, you know, I'll help you out and you help me out and, and, uh, you know, we can all be happy, you know, I just, I, I, I think, the, I think social media is get, has made little monsters out of all of us, narcissistic monsters out of all of us. <laughs> right. <Especially, laughs> you know, it's like, like AOC, she made it bit like she wouldn't be who she is if, if it wasn't for uh, social media. Right. Um, mm. And the squad wouldn't be what they are if it wasn't for social media. But you notice that lately they've been kind of, dialing it back as things aren't going the way they wanted to go. Like they're seeing public sure. opinion is not swinging in their way. And they're now until midterm elections are over, man, they're going to be, you know, and then you see AOC right now is getting uh, hammered by, I don't know who it is, man. I really don't know who it is, but they're going to anywhere she goes to go speak publicly. They're, you know, they're calling her every other name in the book, which I don't think any person deserves, but sure. Um, but again, I think she needs her feet needs to be held to the fire. And I think there's a, I think the way they're doing it is making it, making it known, you know, and she's, you can, you can tell, like, you can, like, I don't know if you saw it, but, um, on the news, she was, uh, she was giving a talk and they were like, Hey, you need to get out. And they're just start cussing her out and whatnot. And they turned off the lights and she bugged out, you know, ex- you know, I understood. Oh, that. oh yeah. sure. And then they turned the lights back on. She came out to face them and, you know, they just weren't having it. And of course it's the news and the social media. You're only hearing one side of the story, right? You're only hearing that she's getting, uh, mm. that she's being yelled at by these people and they're disrupting her, her speech. But, you know, a lot of her supporters were there and, you know, there's a, a little bit of an exchange. So I love fair news reporting. I don't care if it's, if it's, I don't care if it's in my favor or not, but I think it's, uh, I think the media needs to do a better job at just being, just report what's being said and talking heads and uh, opinion pieces need to be tossed out the wayside. Um, we're starting to see that in ratings uh, and uh, 
like a lot of the late night shows. Uh, what's his name? Um, Trevor, Trevor, the black South African. Uh, Noah. Guy. Noah. Trevor Noah, his show's getting ready to get kicked off the air. Samantha B's show's getting kicked off the air. Um, a lot of these talking shows where Stephen Colbert is barely hanging on. Um, so a lot of these shows that were popular late night shows that were critical of uh, President Trump, they have nothing, you know, people are just not listening to what they have to say anymore because mm-hmm. they have, they're not saying anything new. Um, and it's a shame where like, where your political discourse is now being like comedians came and say things that they want to say that we used to think is funny, you know? Yeah. Right. It might've been like in your face, but it was still, we were able to laugh at it ourselves back in the day, you know, mm-hmm. nowadays you can't even do that because somebody's going to get offended. You know, somebody's feelings are going to get hurt or back to my 30 rock analogy. Somebody's going to feel left out, you know, right. And, you know, right. heaven forbid, <laughs> like heaven forbid somebody feel, you know, you know how many times I felt left out in my life and I'm still alive, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. You know, like yeah. I remember uh, being at a park, being a little poor kid at a park and somebody was having a birthday party and they had cake. I wasn't invited to the party. Right. But I just happened to be there. Right. So right. it was just like, did, it, did anybody offer me cake? Nope. Because it's not my party. I wasn't invited. Right. So, and, and not every time. So but my point is sometimes you don't it's deserve their party. cake. Yeah. Sometimes it's not your party. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man, like it's that. just, <laughs> and, it, but like I have friends who don't want their kids to ever be dis, be disappointed because they had it bad. Mm, sure. Because their, their, their childhood was bad. They don't want their kids to have a bad childhood. And where I take, where I, my argument is, they have to know, they have to be, you have to tell them no. Mm-hmm. One. Sure. You sure. Know, you just got to, you got to be able to tell your kid no. And it's good for them to hear no. And it's good for them to lose. Mm-hmm. And it's good for them to not receive a trophy. And it's good for them to experience a breakup, you know? Sure. Because it's only going to make them better people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, but it's another thing for you to be there to comfort them. Oh, hey, man, it's all right. You're still not getting a trophy. You're still not getting invited to the party. You're still not getting a new pair of shoes. But guess what? You know what? I'm here for you, and I get it. Right. Yeah, and I'm proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of you. You, yep. you You know, you put forth a good effort. Yeah. Good job, you know. And that's that should be enough. I don't know how many times my dad said he was just proud of me, and that was enough. But now, today, we got it. I'm not only proud of you. But now I have to buy you a new video game or now mm-hmm. I, uh, I it, instead of parents telling their kids to clean their room, their kids are saying, well, give me money to pay my room. You know what? <laughs> you know, I'll give you the back of my hand <laughs> right, right. and get the same result, you know? <laughs> right. Right. But it, I get, I you know, it, on some instances, I get what where where the parents coming from. In another instance, there's things where I sit back and I'm like, I just got to shut my mouth and walk away. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and just because, you know, they're dear friends of mine and I might not agree with what they're doing. And I just got to just, Hey, you know, they have a, they have a, and there's always a good reason why they're doing whatever it is they're doing for whatever particular reason. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I just got to mind. That's one of those where I have to mind my, you know, remember my own advice and mind my own business. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for the time. No, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of How I Embraced the Self. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, stay frosty. There's a frame of thought, a school of thought that when you're teaching adult learners you want, or any type of learner, one of the big questions you want them to ask early on is, who am I?